Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, come and have your way with us this morning. Lord, would you encourage your people this morning? Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe into us life? Do the work that only you can do that is just simply beyond our means. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior and our brother. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be back. I heard uh, that uh, Eric and Fred took good care of you. Yes? yes. yes. Good. I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. Um, did you notice in several of the readings this morning, there's a lot of talk of hunger, thirst, a lot of talk of food and drink. A lot of eating, a lot of drinking, a lot of hungering, a lot of thirsting. You've got bread, you've got wine, you've got milk, you've got fig trees, you've got fruit, you've got vineyards. Some of you might cry foul, like no fair during Lent. Pastor Joel, guilty as charged. But it's a good thing that today is a feast day and time to break those fasts. So let's continue in that vein of food and drink and hunger and thirst, okay? That's where we're going to go today. In 1987, a quiet little Danish film won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. Okay? Not much transpires in it, true confessions. There's no big action sequences. Okay? There's not a lot of snappy dialogue and back and forth. There's no larger-than-life plot, plot twists. But it is a very soulful film with unmistakable gospel themes and with very strong Eucharistic overtones. The name of the film I'm talking about is called Babette's Feast. Okay? And I'm going to give spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you more than you might care to know about the film. But it is relevant, okay? So, Babbitt's Feast. The story takes place in a rural community in Sweden, and it's primarily a religious community, okay? And it's a very strict Christian sect, to be exact. And the tenor of this community is pretty joyless, it's pretty puritanical, and it's, pure, it's very legalistic. It's dead in a lifeless religious context, if you can get a sense of that. It's where the letter of the law reigns over the freedom of spirit, over the spirit of the law. Now, Babette, as you might guess, is the main character. She is a cook. She works as a cook for two prominent members in this religious community who are two elderly sisters. And Babette is an exile. She has lived away from her home country for close to 20 years. And she's really not part of the religious community there. She's kind of an outsider. She's a bit of an outsider. Now, one day, Babette discovers that she has won the lottery, 10,000 francs. I don't know what the translation is there and accounting for you know, inflation, blah, blah, blah. But evidently, it's, it's quite a sum of money. She decides to take that money and to host an extravagant feast for a few of the townspeople. It's cool. And the feast she prepares is absolutely incredible. And I'm sorry that you haven't had lunch because about what I'm about to describe might increase your hunger and your thirst. It's French food. And there's several courses of it. Fine wines, rich food, these sumptuous desserts, all are these rare, expensive offerings. And her small handful of guests who are normally pretty stoic and suspicious of these sensual, earthly pleasures, they gradually let down their guard, and they allow themselves to enjoy the meal that is set before them. It happens very gradually. In fact, you see an aesthetic shift as the meal unfolds. At its beginning, very dark and gloomy and gray. Those are all the tones that you see until the feast begins. It's very stark. It's very austere. It's colorless, literally. 
as the food and drink come out, the film becomes vibrant, vivid, and you can just almost taste uh, the wine and the food and the desserts. It's just, it's palpable. Now, as the feast unfolds, this stoic community begins to enjoy one another, okay? Smiles, a sense of ease, (laughs) some laughter, and eventually gratitude settles over the group. It is an unmistakable shift that happens in the film, and it happens very gradually. But you can literally watch the hard-heartedness and the unforgiveness fade as some old festering wounds are healed between folks at that table. It's beautiful. Even old love is rekindled, you know? Got to have a love story, right? It's a beautiful story, but that is only half the story. The real power of this story lies with Babette, the generous host and cook. As I said before, she is an outsider. She's living in exile, and she has been for more than 20 years. Now, eventually, it occurs to the two sisters who employ her that Babette could have done what with her lottery winnings? She could have gone home. (laughs) She could have ended her own exile and gone home. But instead, she spent her winnings and hosted an extravagant, some would say wasteful, feast. Her selfless gesture breathed life into that bleak landscape of a broken, dead religious community. Babette's feast was an act of healing, and she offered this gift freely, often with this wry smile, like she knew something that they didn't know, which she did. We could all learn a lot from Babette. Now, Scripture also has a lot to say about food and drink and healing and fellowship and celebration. Uh, Some of our readings from today spoken to these areas, especially the two Old Testament readings, but I want to focus this morning particularly on Isaiah 55. So if you want to flip with your, in your Bibles there with me, you can. We're going to focus mainly on verses 1 to 5. We're going to take a little chunk and ruminate on it and, and chew on it and cogitate on it and let the Lord speak. That's my prayer. So in our Old Testament passage, Isaiah 55, 1 to 5, uh, the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah to issue an enthusiastic, extravagant invitation to a lavish banquet. You notice that? It's very vivid. One that happens to be open to anyone, regardless of their station in life. As we stumble into this passage, it's kind of like entering a conversation that's already going on, right? Here's the situation. Preparations have been made. Food and drink are at the ready. The guests are invited. And nothing is required of them except to come and feast with the Lord, to come. And that invitation, if you look through and do a word count in this passage, The word come occurs several times. It's again and again and again that invitation is issued. Come, come, come. Come if you're thirsty. Come to the waters. Come if you're hungry. He invites over and over. And this host has no shame, has no concern for social conventions, and I would say no pride. Even if you don't have money, even if you don't have the right clothing, even if you don't have the right title, even if you don't have the right whatever. This is literally, come as you are. Come as you are. And it underlines a true sense of need here. You get the sense that the guests here are truly in need. They're desperate for what this banquet offers. And that there's an abundant supply to meet that need. There's no scarcity here. There's more than enough for every single guest. Well, hello, Grace, wouldn't you say? And money is no object. The food and the drink are free. The only prerequisites, real hunger, true thirst. 
Those are the prerequisites. Come hungry, come thirsty. That's not, I've always thought that's not a bad tagline for a church, right? Come hungry, come thirsty. Not bad if I do say so myself. In True Confessions, this passage is, is special to me for many reasons, but one of the reasons is it was the theme and vision statement for a home church that Jude and I were involved in some 17 years ago. The name of that community was called Beggar's Table. Beggar's Table. Now, that name said a lot because beggars are poor. <laughs> okay, We don't have money for food. We don't have the pedigree or the provenance to claim a seat at the royal table. We're all a bit like Mephibosheth. Do you remember Mephibosheth from the Old Testament? Okay, He's the disabled son of Jonathan, grandson of King Saul, who had a seat at King David's table because David made sure of it. Mephibosheth, you will always dine at my table. You always have a seat here. Money and status won't get you a seat at the table or buy you this kind of food. This is about something that is offered freely. Now, this underlines our inability and our helplessness. There's not enough money in the world or a high enough status to earn you a seat at this king's table. You can't earn it. You need his invitation. You need his gracious, outstretched hands to you, like the invitation David extended to Mephibosheth. You can't earn your way in. It's pure gift. Money's no object. The food and the drink are free. Don't try to pay for it. The cost is too high. Not only that, this feast is top shelf. Now, for those of you who have been to like a free buffet in Vegas, perhaps, or gone to one of those cheap buffets where you like pay five bucks and eat all you can eat, please put those out of your mind because this is not what we're talking about here. You know, it's not like, I went to Vegas once, and it's kind of like you're, you're eating this free, tough and overcooked steak, and you're, you know, I was like looking for the jockey marks on it, because I just wasn't sure it was even real meat, right? This feast is top shelf. It is not that, so it's the opposite of that. Wine and milk that are mentioned here, they're extravagances in the ancient Near East, okay? They're not necessities like water and bread, which were just basics. This isn't the food and drink of survival and subsistence, and scarcity. This is not food as fuel. No mere provision here. This is, verse 2 says, the richest affair, luxuries, extravagance, showered upon all the guests, and they're beckoned, come, come. And though we didn't pay for these things, well, someone did. The feast didn't just appear out of thin air. So who's, who's bankrolling the party? Who's the host? Who's playing Babette here? You want to take a guess? pretty easy. Who's the host? Well, it's, God. it's God. Thank you. I would have taken Jesus. I would have taken the Lord. Any of those is great. Yes. Here's the God who loves to celebrate. Okay. Here's the God who loves to play host to us, who pays the bill in full through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Okay. Think back to Jesus's first miracle, if you will, in John. Does anybody remember what that first miracle is? Yes, the wedding in Cana, water to wine. Excellent. You guys are on top of it. Very good. Uh, God wasn't telling a news story when Jesus kept the party going with another 600-plus bottles of wine. Yes, I did the conversion rate. Yes, that's how much it was. That's a lot of wine, folks. Jesus was reminding us of an old story, maybe of this one. And that first miracle is also a foretaste of glory divine. It's, it's the wedding feast of the Lamb, right? It's a foretaste of that. The bridegroom, Jesus, pays for the wedding celebration and all the extravagances. So this scene in Isaiah 55 is no doubt a picture of the final banquet 
the wedding feast of the Lamb, the new heaven, the new earth. But it's not all about just the future out there, right? It's not all about heaven and the future. There's something present about it. There's a now, not yet to this. Listen to verse 5 if you don't believe me. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor, or some translations read, or for he has glorified you. Now get this. We get to help God gather people unto himself. We get to help God gather people unto himself. There's some shared mission, shared love, shared life for you right there. We get to invite people to this incredible, sumptuous banquet table. And verse 5 describes something of others actually being drawn to us. There's something magnetic here about our fellowship, our worship, our way of life. We will summon nations, it says. We will issue a call to people we don't even know. And nations we don't know will come running to us because God has endowed us with splendor and glory, it says. He's redeemed us, and the testimony can be seen by other people. How about that? The gifts, the calling, the identity, his saving grace in our lives, all the things that God gave us are made visible. Glory and splendor in the scriptures are seen, they're experienced, and they're known like light. And through relationship, we invite others to this great feast. So it's just a glorious, glorious picture. People will be drawn to us. There is a magnetism there, and we will summon some. Others will not only find us, but they'll seek us out with all their might. You notice that they'll come running. There's effort there, folks. They want that because they can hear, see, touch, taste, and smell the presence of God among us. That's why. They're standing outside looking in. They want to join the great banquet feast of the Lamb, and they're hungry and they're thirsty. Okay, We need to name that hunger and thirst that they have and tell them it's about the Lord. That is what they're hungry and thirsty for. That's what happens when we be the church. That's what happens when we be the light of Christ. It's that picture of the church as the liturgy for the world. I've used that phrase before. The church is the liturgy for the world. The work of the people done on behalf of others. Our worship and the whole of our lives is intended to be like a shining beacon that summons people homeward to this great feast. It's a picture of shared love, shared life, shared mission that we speak of here at King of Kings. And the grace of God, always true, always precedes us. The grace of God always precedes us. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, let's talk about the parable of the prodigal son, by example. The father, if you recall, is actively looking for the younger son's return. Okay, And as the son is practicing his I'm sorry speech on his way home, the father sees him first, runs to him, and embraces him. And if you read the story, you'll see that the son isn't necessarily repentant. He simply knows that his father's house is a better deal than tending to pigs. And yet the father's response, let's throw a party. Let's have a feast. My son is back. Let's kill the fatted calf. The vacant seat at my banquet table is filled again. Let's have a party. And the doors to the banquet hall swing wide open. All this before the son truly repents. And I think this is true for both the older and the younger son in this parable. We don't even know if either son fully repents in this parable. Have you ever noticed that? We don't know. (laughs) And yet it ends open-ended. And yet the banquet, the feast, is still laid out. 
as an invitation before them, both, both sons. What kind of God does this? What kind of God does this and says, come, come if you're hungry, come if you're needy, come if you're thirsty, feast on the richest affair. The grace of God always beats us to the punch, always precedes us. Let's begin to wrap things up, and let's go back to Babette. So recap, she wins the lottery. She gave it all away for the good of others to bring them life and reconciliation. She could have returned home after 20 years of exile and ended that for herself. But instead, she sacrificed. She hosted a feast, and she did so so joyfully and with such mirth and, and it was just so it's fun to watch in the film that is the kind of story God tells in and through his people that is the kind of story God tells in and through his people that is the gospel stuff folks love it so a few questions here who will you invite to this great banquet that we celebrate every week who would you like to invite which faces are missing from this table. Look around at the empty seats. Take a peek around. Look around. Okay. Who needs to be here? Who needs to fill these empty seats? That's one question I want you to mull over. Who can you invite? Who's missing? Second part, a little more personal, I would say, is where can you pour out your life like Babette for the life of others? Where can you pour out your life for others? Uh, She offered her culinary gifts in a creative way unto kingdom work. Everyone offers something. You've all got something to offer. So what's your offering? Okay, what's your offering? How can you invite others in a way that only you can to come to this table? God invites us to his table every Sunday, every Sunday. So good to feast upon the richest affair. And he isn't stingy, isn't stingy. He delights in hosting a feast that we can never afford to attend. And he offers it to us free. And the gift Though the food, I would say, isn't entirely the point, though we enjoy it, though it feeds us, though it sustains us, the gift is the fellowship, the table, the gathering. The gift is the great host, God himself. Without him, do we have a feast? What do you think? Without God, is there a feast? No. No feast. And we're invited into fellowship and with communion with him. Followers of Christ have a place at the banquet table. The hungry, the needy, the thirsty, come, bring it. There's no seat of honor here, and Jesus' invitation goes out to all. Come, please come. Jesus meets us at our point of need, beggars that we are, no money, no royal pedigree, uh, not necessary. Come, can't buy your way in anyway, don't try. He feeds us in the desert places, in the wilderness of our lives. You notice that? In other words, in those places where food and water are scarce. Russ Taff has a great song about this, if I can plug that and get this title. This is a great image. It's called Table in the Wilderness. Table in the Wilderness. Isn't that great? And I'm going to read you a couple lines from it, more than a couple. You remember the place that your heart desires where you found life at the table in the wilderness, where the blind can see and the poor possess, ever thankful for being honored guests at the table in the wilderness. All are welcome. Come find life. Come find peace. Come find rest at the table in the wilderness. Folks, there's always been a table in the wilderness. Isn't that beautiful? And you're invited, my brothers and sisters. Come to this great feast. 
and invite others to join in with you. Come, come, come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.